0: Welcome to the Testos Podcast. Now, this uh, Wednesday, we have Tara Coley on the podcast. Very inspiring woman. Now, she became financially free in 18 months. 18 months sounds like a kind of normal number, right? People say a year, they say 18 months. I always say like a year and a half. I, I don't know, 18 months is cool though. Right, there's a reason. So, for the first part of that, she was pregnant. And for the second part of that, she was on maternity leave. So, this might seem, you know, normal you know having a business and you know in this sort of situation but when you hear how much she did during both these periods and how much she took on and how it was pretty much a whirlwind a tornado of business exponential actual hockey stick growth and she invests in london so we're talking big money bigger deals and buying at market value which what that's not what you talk about in the north or wales or anywhere else is it Mm -mm. everyone wants to do bmv but she had so much value to the properties that she can buy at market, and look, this doesn't work for me in Wales, but it works for her in London, right? And there's an interesting strategy using local ex local authority houses, which a few other people who are coming on the podcast soon will also talk about in more detail. But now Tara has found balance and travels pretty much all of summer to spend time with her kids and her partner, which is her why a very strong why. She's also giving back, and I think most importantly, you know, she really talks about having the foundations set before you jump into the strategy, the exact workings of the mechanics of property investment is have your mind right. So this is a very, very interesting podcast. I'm really excited to share this one with you. As usual, if you're liking the podcast, there's no adverts. It's totally free. Uh, So please DM me, send me a message. But more importantly, please go onto iTunes, leave a review uh, or go onto the Facebook page, press follow and leave a review. I would be very grateful. Thank you. Tara, welcome to the Tesh Talks podcast.
1: Hi, Tej. Lovely to yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. That is
0: awesome. And where are you right now?
1: And um, so, at the moment, I'm in. We're in Phuket in Thailand, which is our, a place we come to quite a bit now. And uh, yeah, still. Uh, doing an hour or two a day of just checking in with the team. Um but yeah, it's really, really lovely here. But I hear you're having a heat wave where you are <laughs> as well. <so. laughs>
0: yeah, no, we, we are sort of. I mean, I, I don't know, it's quite nice here. But you know, an, an hour a day, I mean, I feel for you, you know. I really do. <laughs> That's oh
1: well, God. do you know what? It's been we've been coming, we've been, we've been travelling every summer for like two months the last uh, three years now. And this this time I've actually really felt I've been more present than I've ever been before because there's always times when we've traveled. My husband's been like, oh, yeah, you've been gone like two, three hours, Tara, every day. But this time, I feel like we finally got the team where they need to be. And um, I'm I'm really enjoying, yeah, just being with the kids and actually doing that one hour a day and actually really just doing that. Um, But obviously, it's always a temptation to do a lot more, but... (laughs) yeah trying to have some
0: self-control there absolutely you not. Know, we'll get into that a bit later once people have heard about your story because there's definitely bits that people are going to enjoy there so before you go into property before you you know I guess had the ability to travel and have more freedom and and have your team do things for you what were you doing before property and then what sure. led you to be like oh get
1: into I want property. Property. Yeah. yeah sure so um So I was I was I'm an ex financial advisor, but prior to that, I I just um, finished school, didn't know what I wanted to do. Decided to get a job in a local bank as a cashier, and um, yeah, was really like struggling to find out. You know, what am I supposed to do? I know I need to make money, but I'm not quite sure what. And I decided to uh, train as a financial advisor. Um, So I was 19 um, and was told it was quite ambitious. Like, what are you doing? Most people don't do this until, you know, they've been working for a good three or four years in the bank. And, um, yeah, I managed to push to to do that role. And I think, you know, looking back now, that was a great foundation um, for me because I just learned so much about all different types of asset classes from you know investments, pensions. Um, you know how to invest other people's money. You know um, things, risk things to you know consider, et cetera. Et cetera. So yeah, I was the youngest uh, financial advisor working for that company. Which I don't say that to brag. It was it was hard because you know I was a female in a very male dominated environment, trying to prove myself. Um, and and, uh, make some money Um, and then uh, sort of continued in that role for until I was around 25 and um, met the love of my life at, um, (laughs) at work and we got married within 18 months. It was all very whirlwind and exciting and then we fell pregnant sooner than expected and I was literally like, oh my goodness, Well, well, if I'm honest, I'm really embarrassed to say this. I burst into tears when I found out I was pregnant, not because I was happy, because I knew that I wouldn't be the present mummy that I wanted to be. Um, I was working silly hours. So I was 25, working silly hours in the city, um, in Oxford Street, had a beautiful kind of office overlooking, you know, Oxford Circus. And um, yeah, I just felt really like, um, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to have to drop this kid off. At nursery when he, when he's like six months old and not pick him up until you know six o'clock and that's just not what I, I wanted um and so it kind of really made me do some deep research and start looking into how I could have a you know do something that would give me a bit more balance um and then property came along um yeah so, so that's how that's how it all started I ended up getting an email um through uh from progressive properties which I think they email everyone I don't know how they always they get their email addresses but well. yep. I got a random email and I was just like Hey, okay, let me go and um, um and then I ended up doing another property course before theirs and losing a lot of money Tej, and just thinking oh my gosh you know you can't make money in property; it's all a scam. And I felt really burned and all of that. And then I ended up doing um, a progressive event, a free event, and just listened to some of the testimonials. I was just like, do you know what? I really believe I can do it if I just learn how to do it the right way. If I can just get the right education, all the things should come together, and then I can just pick up some pace and get going. Um, and so I signed up to do a couple of their courses and I did pick up pace. <laughs> and uh, it kind of, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, I set myself a, quite an outlandish goal, which was to get £10,000 passive income in 18 months. Um, so nine months pregnancy, nine, nine months maternity. And my hope was that I'd hand in my notice um, before I needed to go back and I did. So wow. and yeah, that's the short, shortened version.
0: <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting because in what you said right at the beginning, which was the, the company or your, your colleagues were saying, Oh, you know, you can't do that. That's, that's yeah. not normal. You know, us boring people, we take three years cause we're thick. And I just think that like <laughs> whole thing that people do and say in jobs is like,
1: mm. for me, that's
0: like the only reason you need n- never to want to work for someone. Cause it's exactly. like, exactly who the hell are you to tell me what I can do? And it's, it's so frustrating Absolutely. when people do that and you prove them wrong. So it was like,
1: you know, yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, I had something to prove. Well, exactly.
0: So you got your education, you yeah. went on some, went on a free course, went on some paid courses. Yeah. yeah. Now you yeah. obviously had quite a bold ambition there. Now, yeah. how, so when you went back then, when you were starting, how did that materialize into like daily, weekly, monthly actions? Like what was your strategy? Right. What did you sure. need to do?
1: So actually, at the I was on the um, uh, the, uh, the progressive V.I.P. program. One of the first things that they, one of the guys, he's not doesn't work for them anymore. Um, he mentioned was Darren Hardy's um, uh, book. I think I don't know if it's still out because I can't find it anywhere on Amazon. But it's called Your Best Year Ever. Um, and so that book, that book, it gave me a great foundation to create a plan um, and. I would literally, you know, created a big, hairy, audacious goal, which is what it encourages you to do. So that was my 10K uh, passive income. And then it was this whole focus of who do you need to become, you know, to achieve that, that 10K? Like, what does somebody who's earning 10K per month, what, what do they look like? What do they sound like? What do they do every day? What are their habits? And I, it was a, That was a mind uh, a mindset shift for me because usually I was just used to creating, you know, your normal goals and then breaking down to mini goals. But this whole thing of who do I need to become, it made me create habits that I probably wouldn't have created um, and just helped me to kind of go up a gear really and start, um, you know, surprising myself with some of the things I, would, I was doing, such as getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning, you know, to get those hours in to you know making those calls that absolutely freaked me out and asking for silly discounts off properties, feeling like I an idiot, but doing it anyway, you know, and so that helped. And then also within that, it kind of talks about you know breaking down to your your um your quarterly your monthly your weekly and then having your check-in like once a week of how you're performing against those 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 goals and um i remember i had like this room in this rental property we were renting in um where was it in Seven Kings it's a very different area to where I live now not that (laughs) anything's wrong with Seven Kings but it was just this house we were renting it had rubbish in the garden and it was just so small and there was things wrong with it and lots of stuff and I just created this little room where I just had all my goals stuck to the wall and you know pinned up and um, you know I want to have 10 properties I want to have 10k passive income this is how I'm going to do it and it just became my little sanctuary of just, like, I, I've ne- I don't think I've ever been so focused in my life. And it's been difficult to get back there. Um, but I was a woman on a mission because I was literally like, I'm doing this for my son. Like, I want to be there for him during those, you know, those first sort of five years before he starts school. And I want to have those precious moments with him. And so my why was big. Um, and, yeah, it paid off
0: thankfully. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you, you answer that question with the, like the mental mindset attitude foundation that you need to have mm-hmm. before we even talk about strategy, before we even talk about how many houses, I think mm-hmm. it's great that you've mentioned that because we all need that foundation to be able to achieve what you have and what others have achieved. So once you yeah. had this foundation, you were like, right, I, I need this. I've set up how I'm going to do this mentally and the mm-hmm. kind of person I need to be. What was your mm-hmm. like mechanical strategy in terms of properties, types of properties, location, budget, money, that sure. sort of stuff.
1: Sure. So I loved the idea of buy, refer, finance and being able to, you know, pull majority or sometimes, you know, if you get it really right, all of your funds back out. And I just thought, you know, I therefore I only need one pot of cash. Um, and I didn't have any cash. Um, we would just blown a lot of money on our wedding. And um, yeah, it was, we were saving for our first house and all of this stuff. So I had to go and do what they taught me to do, which was go and find an investor, which was just like, you know, I haven't got loads of experience. How am I going to go and find an investor? Um, And so my strategy was to, you know, get out there, put myself out there as somebody that perhaps I didn't have a lot of property experience per se, but a lot of transferable skills. So in terms of money, finance, um, you know, um, understanding what works and what doesn't, and what kind of, um, you know, how to calculate things and risk-wise, I had a lot of transferable skills that I knew I could bring to the table, um, and I knew that I spent a lot of time looking at everything I'd learned and crunching the numbers across a number of different um, areas, and looking at what, where could I get. How could I get and where can I get this model to work? Um, and so when an investor came along, I would blow them away with my confidence and the detail and, you know, what and how I would get their money back to them and also offer them a 50% stake in everything that I did. Um, so that so the key thing was to impress once the right person came along, but make sure that I was ready, you know, Um and then it was to look for an investor. So how did I go about doing that? Um, I, 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 I um, tried to add value wherever I was. So I was on a lot of property forums and I just tried to you know make sure that if anybody needed any information about anything, I would try to be that person that would crop up a lot and just give that information and try to share my knowledge. Um, and then off the back of that, um so this was I started my journey Octoberish by the December I had a, a lady ask me to meet her for a coffee chat in central London and I wasn't sure whether I should go because I was so busy um you know lots of other stuff but I went and um you know unbeknown to me I didn't realize that I was that was the that, that was going to be the moment you know where I needed to show up, I didn't expect, I didn't even think it was, I didn't even think she had any money um, at all, I just thought I was helping and so she quizzed me, asked me so many questions, Um, I wanted to know some quite personal questions as well but she was looking for a business partner um, and she had quite a lot of money Um, and yeah by the end of it we'd agreed to do a deal and that was the start of the journey.
0: And it's interesting because you, you said that you didn't know that was the moment you had to show up. And like, we never know, right, until it happens. No, and it's exactly. It's like, maybe that's a message to all of us. That is, when you don't feel like going to a networking event, you don't feel like making that meeting. That could mm-hmm. be the one that tips it over the edge and starts yeah. something great. So yeah. you, you mentioned London there. Where do you live and where did you decide to invest?
1: Sure. So I grew up in South East London, so that was my place that I knew really, really well. And um, you know, compared to other parts of London, I knew East London had some opportunity there, but I wasn't living there at the time. Um, so I thought, let's try and look into Southeast London. And so I ended up um, investing in um, Lambeth, um, Merton, um, Southwark, just buying up lots of different types of properties with that met my criteria within those boroughs so a lot of them were ex-local authority type stuff so quite ugly stuff but cheap but good square footage um where i could add some value so needed maybe a facelift could maybe add an extra bedroom chucking in on suite um and then that would increase the value enough to get at least 50 to 75 percent of our funds back out in some cases we did depending on who we had on the day or the surveyor, how they felt, you know, 100 to 125% in some cases. So um, we were buying our property a month and we were just going for it, um, you know, and it was a a very intense time. It sounds like it was, wow, but it was, I had an investor who I was doing all the legwork and she's a very detail orientated person, uh, strong business acumen and, She wanted a lot of, you know, information about everything, and so she should. But we were buying so quickly, it was taking up a heck of a lot of my time. And bearing in mind I'm pregnant as well, um, (laughs) and it almost, yeah, completely burnt myself out. So I I would cry every single month just from the stress of it all um, and lack of systems Um, lack of understanding of how to build a business and having the correct foundations in place but yeah it was a learning curve I grew immensely during that Uh, time
0: and you know it's interesting because when you mentioned the buyer refurbish refinance when you talk about you know offline you said I want all my things to cash flow a lot um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people would take those two things and say right well you know Tara invest in the north then or or somewhere Mm -hmm. outside of London because it's Mm -hmm the yields are better, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how mm-hmm. did you go against what I guess most people think and say, which is don't, you know, invest in London for cash. For, like what, how did you yeah. figure that that would be your strategy that would work so well?
1: Well, you know, I've done my numbers and I figured out, you know, there is a lot of room to get uplift in London. Um, but obviously the more expensive you buy, the lower the yield So for me, it was what's the cheapest properties I can buy in London and how can I get the most cash flow out of those units? Um, And so we were looking at multi-let properties um, at the time, staying under the HMO criteria um, and they cash flowed really well. We were getting really good yields over 10% um, and we were pulling our money out. So it was win, win, win. Um, And, yeah, it's because of that portfolio that we've now moved to New Forest. So We've moved out of London with the kids, just wanted a slightly slower pace of life uh, and for it to be a little bit safer environment for the children. And um, we've replicated the same model where we are. So, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be London. But I think as long as you do your numbers, do your figures, make sense, you know, to get infinite return or close to that high cash flow, plus capital growth. There's a lot of ticks there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't rule it out. And then t- tell us
0: about your first deal in terms of the numbers sure. and what it was. Sure.
1: So the first one was quite unexciting. It was um, a property in Thamesmead because on the pro- on the property calls I went on progressive, uh, I was told that, yeah, you can make, you can, um, London can work. And they heard that Thamesmead is a good area. So because of that, I initially focused on Thamesmead, like I think a lot of investors did. Um, and so I picked up a property for like, I think it was 96,000. It was a repossession, um, property, two bed. Um, and we spent about 12,000 pounds on it. And then we got it revalued at 150,000. And then we pulled our money out, but it didn't cash flow very well because it was a two bed. Um, and so, yeah, it helped me refine and tweak the model and be like, no, we need to do let if we're going to make decent cash flow as well.
0: Uh, okay. And so, you know, obviously you were buying a lot of properties every month. Things were happening so quickly. How did you manage to buy that many properties that quickly? Like, was it agents? Was it DTV? Like, what was your sourcing method?
1: So it was through agents really, because in London you're not going to get massively, significantly BMV. And I mean, you will, if, you, if you're in the game long enough, you'll get the odd one. Um, but it's not going to be something that you're just going to wake up to each week. Um, so we were buying close to market value, sometimes on market value, sometimes over market value, as long as we felt that with the figures, what, with the refurbishment that we were planning to do the revaluation number made sense. Um so yeah, it was through agents. Um and we were, yeah, we were buying sort of three beds mainly, three beds ex local stuff. Um it's a lot more expensive now, but um yeah, the, the price point that they were at just made sense, you know? So it was mm. quite and then because of that, we um, because we were doing that, I got a little bit sidetracked with um, people asking me to do the same thing for them. Um, So I was like, okay, cool. I need to get 10k passive income in 18 months. So let's start a portfolio build service. That will be great. (laughs) um and so we were charging people we were charging people like 15k which is quite the top end of what you probably would pay but that is because we were giving them their money back like they we were the, the service worked you know um and they were able to build up their own portfolios that cash flowed really well but i got distracted by that because with that comes energy time loss of focus you're building someone else's portfolio so um yeah in hindsight it was good but keep
0: focused. I mean, it's so, you know, you had your, your goal, you had your target. And I guess, you know, sometimes on that path, you don't always just go straight there. You're like, Ooh, here's an opportunity. Let me say yes. Any
1: syndrome. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So you're buying properties quickly using agents, obviously building a name for yourself, doing it for other people. Um, Mm. When it, when it came, and actually going back one minute, when you said, I bought them at market or above market. That's really interesting for everyone to hear because we're taught by every course, buy BMV, buy BMV. Now I think what you you said is important. If you can add enough value that you still pull all your money back out, then just buy at market, get off the market and start that relationship with the agent. Because it also depends like, look, if I, you know, I invest in Wales, I can't buy Mm -hmm. at market. There's no, it just doesn't work, but yeah, it'll work in certain areas. And and yeah, some parts of London being one of them. So yeah. you said, so. okay, so you didn't have a big cash pot yourself. You had this investor who funded yeah. deals with you. For people mm-hmm. listening, how can they find investors?
1: Yeah, so I've since gone on to um, get a lot of investment from different investors, but I like to work with a few key ones now and just use the funds again and again. Um, I would say that when it comes to getting investors you need to definitely be able to share what you do confidently um, because now we're in a position where we invest in other people's deals now because we can, which is great. I never thought I'd be on this side of the fence, but we've built things in such a way that, yeah, now I, I need to, I need, I need, I can't invest all of our cash um, myself. I need to look to other people. So we've started to do that. And so what uh, now that look, it, looking at it with an investor hat on myself, it's, you know, does this person, Do I believe this person knows what they're doing? So usually it's great to talk to people. A lot of people can talk the talk, but send me the figures, you know. And when I see people's figures, I can tell within 10, 15 minutes looking over them, sometimes even five or a few, nah, (laughs) they don't know what they're doing, you know. Um, So it's it's the devil's in the detail. It always has been. Know your numbers, crunch your numbers, um, make sure you include everything. You know, um, and don't over promise and under deliver, like just say what it is and um, yeah, be prepared, be prepared, you know, um, and have the confidence. I think confidence is a really big thing, you know, because I've, I, I am quite a confident person when it comes to talking about money because that's what I did when I was working in a bank. I spoke about money every day with different clients, customers. Um, and so that's obviously come across when I speak to investors. It's just easy. I don't feel uncomfortable about it. But if you can get comfortable with talking about money and understand, you know, the, the terminology, ROI, yields, net, whatever – that helps, <laughs> you know. And um, I meet a lot of people. I'm just like, you are so investable. Why haven't you asked? Why, why haven't you even mentioned that you're looking for investment? And they're like, oh no, I haven't done enough yet. Or oh, you know. The, and it's like it's a lack of confidence um, and maybe a lack of um, believing in you know uh, uh, having the right money mindset, which is you know I genuinely believe that money is easily obtainable. I genuinely believe that. And I've never had a problem with raising money for any of my deals. Um, and I've got an investor base where they've actually paid a deposit for, um, and they're waiting to give me their money. So I know they're serious. And that's come from, you know, just having that confidence and being able to share what it is I do, being able to share the figures and being able to answer those questions. So know yeah. what you're doing.
0: Fantastic. educated no definitely i think confidence underlines everything that we do so yeah especially someone about to give you their money if you're nervous or you don't know what you're talking about they're going to be like mm, next so that's very yeah. very important but how mm. did you like tangibly find your investors or how did they find you because obviously when you started were you mm-hmm. posting on social media were you networking all the time how was the the mechanics of actually finding them
1: well, I think, the, I think having, a, having um, a social media presence helps because otherwise, you know, in this day and age, how, how will anyone know about you? Mm-hmm. Um, and just tracking what you do. So the, I, I really cringe when I see posts of people just asking for investment. I'm like, you know, it's the ones that I've seen consistently put stuff up about what they're doing day to day with um, what agents are speaking to. They're putting up pictures of their deals or they're putting up pictures of deals that they're looking for, um, you know, and you feel like you kind of know them, even though you don't know them. That's the power of social media. Um, And so I think, number one, yeah, put yourself out there a bit. So with what I do, I'm always, you know, I've got my own Facebook group, Wildly Simply Free. And that's all about, you know, wildly pursuing your dreams and goals, simplifying and focusing what's most important, and getting freedom in time, location, and bank balance. And so I created that group because I want people to, yeah, go for it, you know, whatever it is financially or whatever um, it is they want to build, but also to have that balance. And um I found a lot of people who um, have come and given me investment. They've come through, through that group because I'm there documenting what I'm doing day to day. Um, so that's been good. Um, also, wherever I go, you know, I tell people what I'm doing and when I've done something well, I'll let people know what I've done well, you know, <laughs> and it sounds like, oh, you're, you're blowing out your own trumpet, but, you know, how much do you want it? You know, do you want people to back you? This is a business. And it's a part of marketing. So you do need to tell people what you do if you do it well.
0: Yeah. I like that. Uh I think the Facebook group that you've done is a great idea because, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, but I'm just posting, you know, pictures of a, a refurb. But it's like, yeah, but that is showing what you're doing. It's also adding yeah. value because there's always someone with less experience than you who's like, Oh wow, that's an mm-hmm. awesome picture. Whereas you think, oh, It's literally Mm -hmm. my day job and, and things like that and and building your brand definitely get you the attention that you need. So your, your goal of, you know, 10 K in the 18 months, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how many properties at the end of the 18 months, how many properties did you own?
1: We were almost at 13, um, during that period. So towards the end, I ended up, we went, I decided to go to auction and, it's that one deal slowed us down because it had it was an ex local property and it had decking access I don't know if you know uh, no, what, what decking that? access is so it's kind of like where you've got a block and um, you know the entrance to the properties are kind of off of, off a shared balcony and open balcony oh yeah yeah. Yeah. Lenders hate it. <laughs>
0: so why
1: didn't know it didn't know that at the time, but, um, they see it as a high risk in terms of if there was a fire or whatever. Uh, um, yeah. so yeah, so that deal ended up becoming a bit of a, yeah, it tripped me up a bit because we, um, yeah, it was difficult to get lending. And so that just, it just took a heck of a lot more time. And then it was just like, are trying to get our money out of it and et cetera, et cetera. And I think I also needed that. I needed to hit pause anyway, because we had, you know, all of a sudden I had a lettings arm as well, because I couldn't find a decent multi-let agent. Um, And so it was, yeah, it was necessary. It was a good thing. But one thing that me and my uh, Mm. investors say to this day is, had we have not bought that one, how many more would we have bought? You know, so Mm. one of those things, but hey hindsight's a great thing isn't
0: it exactly and, and speaking of, of challenges you know yeah. were there any properties or maybe events or times in, in over those 18 months where it was just such a challenge and you you were just like what am I doing this is so much I can't handle it because it sounds like you know every every minute you talk I'm just discovering new things that you did during these yeah. 18 months whilst being <laughs> pregnant so I'm trying to thinking did you not ever be like whoa
1: yeah, so I, I was literally in tears every single month, and I think the biggest pain came from the management of those multi-let tenants, because we also, I also started doing some rent-to-rents um, in the areas where we were getting a lot of demand for rooms, um, so I was like, okay, let's, let's do that as well, so we ended up building up wow. a rent-to-rent portfolio, so we had the portfolio clients, a rent-to-rent portfolio, I had this investor, and um, yeah, I didn't have the right systems in place. And so <clears throat> I was in tears. And, you know, just doing the rent roll without having the correct systems, um, paperwork-wise, and my desk was just... I mean, thankfully, I did get a, um, a mother's help in and a PA. And those two people saved my life, literally. <laughs> um, and, you know, we worked towards getting paperless and we worked towards getting the right systems in place. But it was so painful, that that process of getting the right things in place... Because we were moving so fast, and so there was no time to really consider, you know, let's spend the next two or three weeks researching into what software might be good. No, it was give me what what's good, you know, <laughs> let's just get it up and running and, and move forward. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was it was very it was tough because we ended up with over a hundred tenants quite quickly. Wow! And obviously, I didn't know what I was doing. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: That's, massive learning
0: curve <laughs> yeah I mean that's some exponential growth there and like you know what it's it's one of these things right either you're going to grow all your systems and processes and be really slow and boring or you're going to be a rocket ship and then be like oh yeah. my god all the yeah. wings have fallen yeah. off all the all the rockets have fallen off yeah um, yeah we need to put them back together as we're still flying so yeah were there any properties that you bought during this time that were I mean apart from there the decking access that were like particularly yeah. challenging or you discovered something crazy or was it all quite straightforward
1: um, so I'm just trying to think was there any like not really because I, I once I once we got the pace with what works and this is this is a thing is once I knew something worked, it was just a rinse and repeat let's rinse and repeat, you know mm. um the auction one was my yeah, was the shiny penny again, just like oh that's a great incredible value da, 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 da. let's go for it, but yeah, well I wasn't buying at auction, you know so. I, it was, it was, it was a distraction. Um, but yeah, no, it was a rinse and repeat thing. The only, the only thing that we, that I did before I left London 2015, um, I decided to open a woman's refuge, which was because I watched a program, a documentary called murdered by my boyfriend, um, on channel four, I think. And I was in pleasant tears and I was just like, oh my gosh, like what? can I do? And, um, refuges up and down the country are closing two women a week in the UK are dying. Yeah. And, um, I was like, you know what, I'm about to do a HMO with this property. Can I JV with a charity and use it as a refuge? Um, and so, yeah, with that, that this is the one, I guess, this is the one that caused the most stress, but it was the most worthwhile thing I've done in a long time that it was worth it. So obviously, can you imagine trying to set up a woman's refuge that's supposed to be anonymous, but yet you need to go through planning, <laughs> but you can't let the whole road know what it's going to be, and oh, lots God. of learnings, you know, lots of learnings, and then um, we had Japanese knotweed in the garden, Ooh, nice. and then, yeah, so it just, it's just, yeah, and then there was lots of different things where um, building control, you know just putting spanners in the works with what they wanted that wasn't expected so they wanted lobbies and before every room and before you enter every room which wasn't something we were told or was anywhere on on the you know the stuff that we read and so all of these things then minimum room sizes so it was a big it was just yeah it was a bit of a headache but um we got there and yeah it's been a great venture and um yeah it's worked really well since but
0: yeah well I think you know yeah like you said as much as it was a challenge you you know used property to genuinely really really help people and you know typical council making it difficult to do anything to help anyone um, apart from themselves and but you came out of it changed people's lives who are who are staying there um still made property work and I think it's as long, you know, as much as we're chasing freedom and money and balance and things, it's Not always good to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to give back sometimes. So, yeah. you know, when we started this podcast, we spoke about your location. Now, mm-hmm. for everyone listening and for me, I've heard you just be an absolute whirlwind tornado for 18 months. <laughs> um, and then obviously looking after a newborn for the sort of half yeah. of that, which yeah. I haven't even looked after a puppy. So I can't even imagine <laughs> like how how that is. <laughs> Um, so it sounds like things were maybe not as balanced as sort of what you were aiming for in the future. So I guess, was there a point where you said, actually, right, yeah. I need balance. And what kind of things did you do to get that balance that now let you travel sort of whatever you yeah. want? To
1: yeah. So, I mean, I, I got to a point where, we, you know, we created financial freedom. Yes. Obviously I could continue to add to that. You know, income stream, and that was something we wanted to do. But I got to the point where I was like, What am I doing this for? Like, I'm tired. I'm, you know, being in London so fast paced, it's quite, you know, just be just even doing the school run stressful, uh, you know, speaking, trying to build relationships with neighbors can be a headache. <clears throat> I'm not saying anywhere, you know, any location's better than another or, you know, anywhere's perfect because it isn't. But I just was, I just craved a slower pace. Um, and I just had this yearning for, a slower pace of life and because I was working from home on the business from my laptop and all of my team were remote I got to the point where I was like I could do this anywhere you know I don't have to be here and um, we had just done buy refurbary finance on our residential home so we bought this beautiful house in South London um Victorian house and uh we bought it for 780 and then we were doing works to that to then take it up to 1.15 to then refinance that um And I just finished this beautiful refurbishment. I remember thinking, I just don't think we're going to stay here. It was supposed to be our forever home. Um, So I started reading a lot of books like, you know, like um, how to slow down, mindfulness, um, like simple abundance type of stuff and just minimalism and just kind of stripping things back, you know, and getting rid of all of the distractions and you know, the power that technology has on you and just trying to get a little bit more um, aware of how I spent my time and what I wanted. Um, And then out of that came this desire to move to the countryside. And um, my husband worked in the city in banking and he was very much, you know, climbing his career path. And it was like, well, babe, if we're going to move out, I want to move out, out, and you're going to have to quit. (laughs) And he was a like, it took him about two years to actually get to the place where he was like, do you know what, I think I think what it was is he managed to get a sabbatical from work. And I knew that if I could get him out of this country for three months, that he'd probably not want to go back to work. Because I could, I could sell it to him. I could be like, if you didn't work, we could do this a heck of a lot more. Um, and so when we came back, we, went, we traveled around. We went to America and all around Asia and uh, Australia. And he, he handed me his notice when we came back. And we, we we moved out. We moved to the forest. And uh, we <laughs> have a look back. So he's now trading. He's a Forex trader. And, um, yeah, I'm doing property. I'm trying to drag him into property. Um, it's still a work in progress. <laughs>
0: Well, I think you won on getting him to quit his job. I, I, have, yes.
1: a, I have a strong feeling you're going
0: to win again. Yeah. Um, as yeah, is normal. So um, it's interesting there what you said um, about, you know, the ha- so where was it in South London, the ha- your home?
1: Yeah, so we was um, Crystal Palace right next to the park.
0: Okay, so for anyone yeah. listening who's not from London, you're going to hear yeah. 780 grand and think, oh my God, it must have been a 100-bed mansion. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> um, this is yeah. a very normal price for London. I didn't even yeah. flinch when I heard it. I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. Sounds yeah. about right. Um, and you mentioned there that your team were remote and you were doing everything from yeah. a laptop. So does yeah. that mean you like hired VAs from the Philippines or was it, what was it?
1: Yeah, so um, with the, so different arms, so the letting agency and stuff, I had a few like reps on the ground, like physical people, because you need them. Um, But they, there wasn't an office or anything, you know, they worked for me. And we had like a storage lockup facility with all our dressing stuff and key stuff and all that jazz. Um, But yeah, the majority of my team, I did have a physical um, PA Um, And then when I was leaving London, I was like, I want to travel the world. I don't want to be in the UK all year round. I want to be every school holiday, all the long ones like Easter, Christmas and summer. I want to be jumping on the plane. And so as soon as I got that in my head as my goal, my whole everything about how I managed and um, structured the business became about how can, is this going to work if I was away? And so, yeah, I hired uh, virtual assistants. Most of them, my team are in Pakistan um, and they're amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I've now got a whole family working for me, <laughs> wow. um, which, yeah, they're so loyal and so good at what they do. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be about them.
0: So then, you know, once you reached the financial freedom at, at about 18 months, after that, was it a case of, right, I'm going to sort of, retire live my best life maybe buy a few houses or were you still kind of continuing on a upwards trajectory of buying more
1: yeah so I think you know I spent a lot of time figuring out yeah what's my freedom number and 10k was like yeah that's a good number um I can live quite nicely on that um and then it was like you know for personal growth and also you know for doing being able to send my kids to whatever school you know whatever you know school or maybe even live somewhere else in the future once they're currently in primary school in a school that I love or we might maybe go and live in Singapore or go and live in America and send them to whatever school you need money money serious money so mm. um, I wanted to continue to build our income stream for them um, and also to be able to then I want to I'm working towards doing a bit more of giving back you know so speaking to um, another charity about setting up a a property for trafficked women um she need, they need to um and that 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 gets me out of bed you know that that excites me um but obviously it's not as lucrative because it's not meant to be it's, I wanna you can you can make decent income out of it if it's structured the right way but I just want to do it because I just want to help that's where I want to get to um so yeah that mm-hmm. the the goal is to, to to work towards that but I'm still building you know we're still we still do at least two or three projects a year. We're currently um, building up our portfolio in the New Forest, which is a lovely portfolio. And it's so nice to have a lovely portfolio because all of my properties in London, apart from our residential stuff, are ugly ducklings. Um, <laughs> so it's nice to have some beautiful units coming through that I'm actually proud of. Like, yeah, mm. they're all gorgeous.
0: And- and so uh, if I'm right, you do a mixture of buy-to-let, multi lets and service accommodation, right?
1: Yeah, so these are holiday lets over service accommodation. Um, just because lending on service accommodation isn't very easy to get, holiday lets are a lot more um, freely available. What's the um, difference so, there too? So with the holiday let ones that you've got, you can't like do advertise on certain portals like Airbnb. They've got to be rented out for like five nights or seven nights, rather than the short two or three nights. Um, and there's lots of depending upon the lender. There's they've got different types of criteria. Um, so where I live, it's a very much a holiday, um, a holiday vacation-y type place, um, right near the ocean, and also it's a big forest. So service accommodation I think works really well when you're like well, I'm sure some people are, are doing it in uh, holiday type places. But you know when you're part of the, you've got uh, you're in a city or you've got big companies that you can leverage and. Uh, do long, longer corporate lets on, it wouldn't work where I am. So the focus is holidays, um, and holiday lets. And so that, that works well.
0: Interesting. So if you can't use Airbnb in certain sites, how do you attract customers to stay in there?
1: Yeah. So we've got, um, lots of like other, like you can use like TripAdvisor, you can use, um, there's lots of big, um, management companies that have really good marketing so where we are it's quite a niche place so if you if you are advertised on some of these sort of types of websites um yeah you'll get a good a good amount of booking so we we get 70 75 sometimes 80 percent occupancy which is quite sh- strong on our units hmm.
0: and you know i think some courses and some people say you know what stick to one strategy just do yeah. that and happy days yeah. we've obviously got three there which are they're yeah. you know, fairly different. What What's yeah. your advice to people who are like, "Uh, what should I do? How should I structure my strategy in that way?"
1: Focus on one first. So i've I've never done them all at once. So the buy, refi, refinance, to multi layer was the first thing that I did, and then it was because I had the experience with my own portfolio and was buying for myself. It was easy to package for somebody else. So that's where the portfolio bill came. You know, after that, and then it was well, we're doing multi-lets, rent to rent would be a very similar strategy to move on from, from there. Um, and then, you know, we did a slightly bigger HMO of the refuge. And then, um, you know, the holiday let stuff is kind of, it is different, but I'd, I'd already decided that the multi-let HMO stuff I wanted to move away from is incredibly stressful um and thankfully a lot of my uh, I mean even if you have a team they still need to be managed at the end of the day there's no such thing as completely passive um and so with the with the um HMO multi multi multi-let stuff um uh, we've moved a heck of a lot of them onto single lets because rental values have gone up so much in London that there wasn't that much difference anymore so it was like let's let's move them onto single lets which has been a dream um (laughs) it's been such a relief and then um yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. So yeah, one thing at a time, and then move on.
0: I like it. And, you know, we've kind of talked about you going from a place of not much balance, exponential growth to a place of balance and a bit more rest and relaxation. Would you say to people who are, you know, you at the beginning of the 18 months, would you say, right, spend a little bit of time systemizing, finding VAs, even if you don't have a task for them, but just finding them, building that sort of I don't know, Yeah, outsourcing, systemization, etc. then start growing exponentially so that at least you have this to back you up? Or would you say, nah, just go crazy and then come back to it?
1: I would say that you need to create the systems as you go. Um, and so, you know, always look at what is my biggest pain point? Like, what am I struggling with the most? And make sure that you spend that time, like I read Work the System, um, Sam Carpenter, and then The E-Myth, which reading those two books just changed my perspective on how to build systems and to do it right um, and so I created that half an hour to forty five minutes every single day of just system creation and from that you know it doesn't feel so daunting so a lot of I've got a, a, a mentor a handful of people at the moment and You know, a lot of them are at the point where they've just reached a glass ceiling. They've had some success in property. They haven't quite got the level that they wanted. They're not getting there. They haven't, you know, they expected to achieve financial freedom, got their income goals, but they haven't quite got there. And a lot of it is down to, you know, looking at the detail and their systemization and and looking at, you know, a lot of them don't know where their money's going, you know, and they're like, I just, I'm just going, I'm just moving forward and I'm buying and I'm, but I know I owe this person and I don't quite, I know my systems of money is not great, but that's what this is about. You know, it's making sure that you've got the money side of it right, you know, and that you understand how to use whether that's zero QuickBooks, whether, you know, you understand you've got your spreadsheets, like all of my little calculators on, I've got a little, um, apps I use with my, my calculators for all of my deals. And, I wouldn't be without them like you know with that if a deal doesn't stack it doesn't stack you know and 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 even you know often we we get the deal the deal's going and is you know the project's finished but actually taking the time to pause and evaluate that project did we did we overspend what can we do better is it is the rental performance where we want it to be Can we increase the rents? Is this not working out? And actually chopping things off if they don't work. Um, So that kind of going back, tweaking, zoning in. And so I have like a strategy day on a Friday. This is what I do where I just sit down and I look at, you know, strategy wise, what's going well, what's not? What can I do to grow? What needs to be tweaked? What needs to be refined? What needs to go? And I've got a lot better at saying that that deal just didn't work. You know, well that that's just not working out, or no, we can't spend that much anymore. And doing that a lot quicker than I would before.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the power of saying no, isn't it? You know, when you if you're working yes. in a client based business, when you start saying no, people start. You know, when people have said, "Oh yeah," I have started saying no to business. Things just get better and better and bigger and bigger. Yes. So your um, your journey has been just wow. You know, there's so much been done in such a short period of time what are your goals now for the next i don't know a couple of years and this could be personal could be fitness could be career anything
1: sure um so for me the goal is to continue to grow the portfolio um so we're, we're picking up two or three units so what we do is we buy our properties um in the autumn and then we bring them to the market by the spring and then we travel in the summer so continue to do that and remember what our why is which is to genuinely be present and spend time with our kids so remembering that that is right now in this season the most important thing we're not going to get this time back um saying no to a lot because I get a lot of offers to get involved in things and to you know I could I could have my asset base you know my my what my net worth would be a heck of a lot more if you know I I didn't create all this space for the kids but I need to because that's my my number one. Um, And then the the final thing is to, um, yeah, give back. I really want to get involved in helping um, women, um, specifically, who are in a place of vulnerability. So whether that is trafficked women, whether that is um, women fleeing uh, domestic violence. Um, So we've got some of the women from our London refuge coming to stay in some of our holiday lets now, um, which is just to give them a break. So it's just helping. How can I give back? What can I do? Um, And just releasing that. Um, And yeah, just just to be able to um, respond to whatever I feel I ought to be doing in that season, which I don't have it all sussed out right the second, but when you're so busy, sometimes you miss it. And I want to be able to have a slow enough pace to be able to know what I need to do in each season as I go.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So we've reached almost the end of the podcast. Now it's the quick fire round, so I'm going to hit you with three rounds of of three top things. So okay. first one is so obviously you've outsourced things, you use a lot of software. What are your top three pieces of software or technology or apps that you find essential to your business?
1: Okay, so I love Asana. I'm sure that's what we mentioned before. We use that with all of our VAs, that one's amazing. Um, we also use a UK post box, which is all of my all of my paperworks get scanned. Um everything to this central base and then i can obviously open it wherever i am in the world um so a lot of things don't get dropped while i'm traveling um and i would probably say google drive you know Mm. i'm sure everyone knows but i use it for everything so uh, i love a bit of google drive so those would be my top three
0: amazing google drive is like it's awesome google just yeah yeah just produce so much for for very very little money if not free actually some, yeah. some of them so what are the biggest three mistakes you've made on your property journey so far
1: um losing focus and you know chasing after shiny penny once you know something works i think it's, it's easy to get a little bit like um you know i guess a bit bored of it but actually that's usually the one thing that like if you just keep refining like our last deal was over um, all of our money out and it's like that's come from years of tweaking and refining the process and experience so yeah once you get good at that one thing but continue rinse and repeat it because that will probably be the one that would give you you know the freedom you're after Um, other big mistake is not trusting myself enough so in the early journey um I got involved in um starting a sourcing business with a friend um, and that's because I was scared of doing it myself and feeling as though I didn't have the business acumen to do it. But I did most of the work. <laughs> and she didn't know what she was doing. But it was just, wow. it was more like a comfort blanket. Just like sometimes we JV with people or we give away too much. When we don't, actually, you, you you might be able to sometimes not give away so much. And you can also, if you believe in yourself, maybe having a partner or whatever might not be the right thing for some people. Um, and hitting pause. I didn't do that enough. I probably almost... You know, ended up on, you know, I don't know, a burnout mode. Um, so now I have this thing called Wonderful Wednesday, where every Wednesday, no matter where I'm in the world, I do something wonderful, whether that's a spa, whether that's taking myself out for a Mai Tai, whether that's going for a bicycle ride, going to a tap dancing class, or whatever. On a Wednesday, I push, even no matter how stressful things go, I will get out, even if it's just for a walk, and just have that time. And I've done that as a prevention thing to ensure I don't get back to where I was in those earlier years.
0: Mm, I like it. And then I guess opposite to that, what are your top three tips for people who are new in property?
1: Top three tips. Number one, you know, make sure that you um, get get educated and become very, very good at the thing that you are wanting to focus on better than most. And that comes through putting in the effort, you know? Um, Number two would be, um, believe in yourself, have confidence, um, and practice confidence when you speak to anyone about and share what you do and share what you do. Um, that would be the third thing is make sure that you confidently, people talk about the elevator pitch, but it can be a bit cheesy, but you, being able to share in a way that's relatable and can tell people what you can do for them will make a difference. If you do that with every single person, you are going to get people who might be interested in working with you.
0: Hmm. i like it i like it a lot so tara thank you so much for coming on the podcast i know you say no thank to a lot of things
1: <laughs> so i'm glad you said yes to
0: this one oh, um, bless you. If, thank you. if people want to get a hold of you what's the best way to do it
1: sure so probably my email tar- tara you can ping me an email or join my facebook group wildly simply free i kind of share everything that i'm doing day to day within that group um and those would be probably the the best two two ways to get a hold Amazing. Thank
0: you very much, Tara.
1: Thank you so much, Tej.
0: If you like this podcast,
1: connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.